0: Talk tea. Gold pressed Latinum. Oh yeah. military on bombs. Structural integrity fields. Oh yeah. Klingon cleavage. Homoerotic spy crap. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome
1: to the Rules of Acquisition. A podcast where we will be talking about the greatest television show ever made before. The year 2000 perhaps uh star trek perhaps we'll say yes yeah sure uh star trek deep space nine the precursor to the golden age of television maybe <laughs> with me as always is uh i'm wade bowen and with me is james nolan hello guys and hugh crawford hey how we doing uh I'm doing good. Hope y'all are doing good. You're doing good?
2: Yeah. I'm doing very good.
1: Okay. Well, all right. Tonight, this is our third episode. We're going to be talking about the third episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as seen on Netflix. The second episode as aired originally, correct? That yep, is correct. That's right. All right. And this is a past prologue. Yes.
3: A Tempest, Shakespeare's Tempest reference, I believe.
1: Okay, yeah, I had a question about, like, what the title meant. But before we get into that, uh, yeah, maybe we just want to start with a short description.
2: Yes, according to IMDb, past prologue first aired on January 10th, 1993. And the description is, Tana Los, a former Bedrawn terrorist, during the occupation, and asked Cisco for asylum on DS9. Meanwhile, the station's last Cardassian inhabitant, Garrick, possibly a former spy for the Cardassian government, proves an interesting mystery to Dr. Bashir. And uh yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. That's our A and B storyline, and eventually they kind of intertwine. The episode starts off with uh with the terrorists thing, but the most notable thing is the incredible sexual tension between Doctor Bashir and yeah. Gary. Am I wrong?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was actually the first thing I, I wrote was it starts with a gay pickup.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, wow. I'm 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 so like uh, not aware of that. I should have paid more attention. You didn't pick up so, on any I, of that. Well, How about the... Hey, man. I'm like naive. I'm the naive guy that gay guys love to hit on in the bar that doesn't realize it again. But well, you were Bashir, You're Dr. In this, Bashir in this You were Bashir. Oh, I've been yeah. Dr. Bashir before. But, well, I've been in gay bars, but i am never <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah,
2: so Garrick, that's, that's what makes... Garrick is is uh, very arch and full of <laughs> innuendo, and he's pretty much one of the best things about Deep Space Nine throughout the whole series he, as far as I'm concerned.
3: He is what my do you guys favorite think? thing. And I think... I He's my favorite thing. I think by far Andrew Robinson, I believe, is the actor's name. I love that guy and things. Uh, he's most famous, like, I think, for being a Dirty Harry. He's the villain in that. Oh, wow. But um, he's uh, if you're a fan of Hellraiser, <laughs> he's the main character in the first Hellraiser movie, and he's
1: That's great him? in that, too. I just watched that like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah.
3: He's the. It's he's the, not um, a good
1: movie.
3: <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> But he's fine in it. He's the, the beta male that his brother is, starts the whole plot.
1: He's, he's the zombie? Or he's, or he's the husband? Oh, he's the husband, that, the cuckold, basically. Yes,
2: the cuckold, yes. Okay, so in this episode, past prologue, we've got a, this Tana Los character is a former and turns out current Bajoran terrorist that asked for asylum from Commander Cisco. And because he's running from Cardassians, and the first thing he does when he gets on the on the ship is ask for asylum, and the second thing he does is to question Kira's street cred basically right yes right
1: yes, he is a
2: cone ma
3: cone ma this is like and i guess it's supposed to be like i mean I'm sure it's supposed to be like a uh, Hamas is probably patterned after Hamas, but or the IRA, I, mean, I i like this thing. right um, yeah. Yeah, I guess the yeah, I guess the IRA. But, okay, so this whole thing, the only thing that I have that's sort of big picture about me not understanding where this show is so far is that for having these long, intricate plot lines about the inter-Nicene war of ideas happening on Bajor, they don't go into what they're fighting over. Maybe maybe the Ma have a really good point of view, but
2: we, we never expressed that.
1: Well, they want Bajorans for
2: Bajorans. but what does that mean? That's like saying you want smaller government. It's like you're not—they're not being specific. <laughs> well, they
1: don't want the—they don't want—they don't want anybody coming in to go through the wormhole. They don't want the Federation. That's right. They—they—they they, they want to be poor but their own, which is kind of slave. But
3: I get that. But I like okay. So, so like, they hate the provisional government, but but do they just hate the provisional government because the provisional government's working with the feder- Federation?
2: I think so. Yes, I think so. Okay. Yes. Okay.
3: Is there not like a list of like? Part of me was like, "Well, maybe, I, maybe I should." It would be interesting if I, as a viewer, was sort of persuaded by his Ma view, but he's just brought in as a black hat at the beginning of the episode, anyway.
1: Yeah. So, yes.
3: You know, there's no, there's no like convincing me. They're trying to like, hmm, maybe, maybe the Ma you know, maybe they got a point. Maybe they should do that.
2: He's not actually his point of view isn't or or Kira's point of view really isn't what's what you're supposed to see here. What you're supposed to see is like how Cisco responds to his like first tests of command in a way in a weird way, right? Yeah, like, I think maybe. They're yeah. trying to do both things, kind of, but not very well.
1: Right. They're trying to show that Kira is not like a patsy for the Federation.
2: And they're trying right. to
1: show yeah. that Cisco is kind of a badass. He's like, yeah, it's an A plus Cisco episode. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. Oh really? Oh really? Because I have I a little so. bit of critique. I've, I felt I like, like his uh, energy level. I felt like his energy level at the beginning of the episode was was a little low. I think I even wrote that is Cisco is uh, Cisco was loaded up on Xanax and Ambien. For uh, by the end of the episode, he's great.
1: Yeah, the beginning of the episode, I feel like I don't actually remember him from. <laughs> it's not until he's he. Goes up to Kira and says, oh, I know what you did. You do it again, I'll fucking have your head on a platter.
2: Uh, oh, yeah, I'll have your head on a platter? That was awesome. Kira doesn't like the fact that he's wishy-washy over the asylum issue. So she takes exception to it and goes over Sisko's head to his boss, interrupts a uh, Starfleet admiral who's in a meeting, and tattles on Cisco. Right. And then later the boss calls up Sisko and says, you have a prop, get your sh- people's shit together you know, and and he basically, the he basically like calls her out on it, and she has nothing to say in response. Right? Is that about right?
1: Yeah. Is this yeah. the first Star Trek admiral that is not like a traitor or the bad guy? Yeah, I think so. I think this is
3: the first one. Do you that's know, not, the
2: actress. That's completely The,
3: the actress. The actress who plays her is
2: Leonard Nimoy's wife. Whoa. No way. So, Whoa. Yes. They're bringing out the big guns on the trivia there. Yeah, right?
1: There's been a vice admiral that wasn't a bad person, but yeah.
2: At, at but she's only bony Chekhov in real life. <laughs> yeah, right.
3: But I was actually a little shocked by this, because I, uh, by that being Leonard Nimoy's wife, because I thought Leonard Nimoy, uh, had a, uh, a right fetish what? because he has, he has published multiple books.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's pictures. like his shtick of, okay. of like, yeah. Big, beautiful. Yes. Oh, yes. but she really? naked ladies.
3: Yeah. 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 There are several photography books. If if that's your thing, there are several photography books put out by, uh, Leonard Nimoy of, of very naked and very suggestive, very large ladies.
1: Wow. I didn't know was, that. Maybe that's just him being, like, a good guy and being like, hey, you know what? Everybody's beautiful. Because, I mean, that's, that's how he spun yeah, it's it. Like,
3: it, was, it was Leonard Nimoy promotes a positive body image. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Trailblazer.
1: That's how I saw it spun when he died, anyways.
2: <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like his R-Chrome. <laughs> so what did you guys think about, what did you guys, did, how much did Kira get on your nerves this episode, James? Oh, a lot. Huh? Yeah, I on think i like a scale okay, of 1 to 10. This was the worst so
3: far. Really? Um, really? yes.
1: I felt like at the yes. beginning, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, I think okay, so I I think she's like I think she's probably like the best actress in a Midwestern community theater repertory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um I damn. think that she- <laughs> ouch. <laughs> but like I think that she she's got obviously you know, she's got some skills. She's she's got energy. She she learns the lines, I'm sure. I, you know, but so I think um, she's very watchable. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. And it's not a physical because I think she's attractive. Because I, I think she's attractive, so it's not bad. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come off as like I just don't like her. But I think that when she's here's what it is is that she she acts like someone who is trying to be like. A gruff, no nonsense type A person. I don't think that she's actually being that. And so in scenes that even where it's not called for, she comes in really like jumpy and abrasive, like a 12-year-old bully. <laughs> and uh the scene where she was good was the scene where she needed to be good, was the scene with Odo.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's what I thought. I like I wrote yeah. like at the beginning, I thought she kind of overdid it with like I'm an angry, yeah. pissed off person. But yeah. By the time that Odo scene, she does about a pretty good job. I thought a politician, me,
2: what she doesn't bother me in the least. So it's interesting to hear you guys in your complaint.
1: I just had a weird, like, realization that I want to bring up now, which is totally insular. But my sister in law loves Star Trek, loves DS9, <laughs> and then I realized. She has the same haircut as Kira, <laughs> and then I wanted this. Like, oh, wait a minute! She can kind of blow up kind of fast too. I wonder sh- how, what her relationship the Deep Space Nine is, and if she ever thought about yeah, that. The race. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I'll say that maybe we should have her on and have her opinion about that before I make any. We should have her really gross. Get me in the doghouse assumptions that will like bite me in the ass. <laughs> because I love my <laughs> sister we all, She's
3: great. She's great. We all know your sister. Yes. <laughs> so, the one thing I would say is that the scene with the Odo, the thing that I wrote down for that is that uh they have this like term in uh wrestling where it's called carrying someone over where like if the the wrestler who's supposed to lose the match is a much more skilled professional wrestler like he can lose in a way that makes the guy winning look good. Like that was like that was like what Randy uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was known for he could make you he could lose making you look great winning and i felt like that's what odo was doing in that scene he was carrying kira over <laughs> like i i noticed that there was decisions that renee average was making that was like decisions that would get her a better performance out of her and i really liked it i thought it was uh i thought that scene worked and that was the scene that had to work for the episode so so no it was good
2: one of the um one of my one of the highlights of this episode for me was the introdu- reintroduction of the Duros sisters, right? The treacherous Klingon sisters from the House of Duros from Star Trek: The Next Generation. You guys, were you guys uh, surprised to see some more Next Generation holdovers pop up so early in the series?
1: I mean, I, I knew I'd seen it before, so I knew they came in. I was like, oh yeah, them Klingon chicks. does it surprise oh, you? Yeah. I
2: guess that they're, that they're pulling that move out. A little bit, maybe, yeah.
1: Because yeah, they play, yeah, they're playing a pretty big role. And you know what? Those actors were probably really excited to come back. <laughs> they're really they're like, good
2: at what they do. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're great characters. I really like the as far as villains go, the Duras sisters. I thought were really used well, and they're they're fun to watch. And they come back later on, I believe. Yeah, I know, and, it, this-
1: and it's good too because you know, like they're like, oh, we're played out. We're not coming back to the next generation, but yeah, holy shit, we get to do this again. Oh, this is fun. But yeah, they, this, they're great. This was a quirkless
2: episode, right guys?
3: It was quirkless yeah. and jakeless and, um, yeah. No Jaxia. Jaxia had like a line at the beginning. So, and maybe another, you know, it
2: uh, pretty, pretty low. Yeah. How irritating was Dr. Bashir in this episode?
3: Yeah. Well, I was, I was, yeah, the Dr. Bashir, you should, Dr. Bashir is just like, I don't know where they're going with this character. I don't know. Is he supposed to be stupid? Is he supposed to be. Uh, Wet behind the ears? Really? What, behind the ears? Or is he supposed. To, I mean, I think he's probably supposed to be a little bit arrogant and uh, immature, but I don't know. Like, I, I just get the feeling that, like, he's not. I mean, he's doing a good job of saying his lines and being in the scene and conveying emotion. So it's not. But he's not doing a good job of, like,. Defining who his character is. And then I don't think the writers are
1: here. Yeah. I think it's clear that what we know about Basir later on, the writers do not know yet. It's only like yeah, the that was third episode. A later on. Yeah. Because he's a fucking idiot here. Like, come on. Like,
2: he's it, it, almost unwatchable <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the scenes of Garrick, Garrick is clearly carrying those scenes. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's the one that's the most watched. Well, yeah,
3: yeah. And I remember... Just, yeah,
2: he's definitely... Yeah, there.
3: Garrick becomes like the... I mean, like... We have said this earlier in the podcast, but, I mean, he becomes... I mean, he is sort of a fan favorite of everyone. But, like, I think he's particularly, like... You know, he brings... Okay, okay. So here's... I'm going to bring this into a larger point that I'm working on with the show. Is that I don't think that... We, I think a lot of people talk about the problems that Deep Space Nine has, especially probably in this early season. And they they talk about it being long and complicated and needlessly complicated. I don't think it's got that. I think it's got kind of just a I think it's kind of sleepy show. I think that it you know, there's long pauses, there's not a lot of action, there's this low hum that proceeds over the entire show. Everybody just has this sort of bland sort of rat-tat nonsense. So I think there's just it's hard to sort of like they never like grab you on a sort of at a visceral filmmaking level at any point in the show uh early on early on, and so it's just like I find myself where like you know like if you answer a text while the show's starting while we're, while reviewing the show, it might be five minutes, but oh, I'll go like I haven't been watching this in a while, I gotta like rewind it back like for instance, you have the Dura sisters, is that their name? Dura sisters come onto the promenade and beat up security officers. You could, from a filmmaking perspective, show that. Or only show people talking about it after it happens. They opt for the talking about it. Like,
2: that's a fantastic like, point.
1: Yeah, that's indicative of what Star Trek does in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, well, we could show this cool action stuff, but we're about ideas, so we're just going to talk about shit.
2: Well, exactly. This, this exactly. whole series... This this first season, we talk about bottle episodes within Star Trek at large. They're like oh, this how whole, about this, a whole this whole this whole series is a bottle <laughs> this episode. Yes. Yeah. Right. So they
3: have this. I so you have like everybody's talking. Everybody everybody's talking in this in the start start Star Trek speak, and that's fine. You you get used to that in the show. But like everybody's talking, and there's this low, comfortable white noise home through the whole show and like it's just it's sleepy time and it's time and and I wish like they have these moments but the great thing about Garrick is that he's so weird and yes so flamboyant and such an interesting character and then once you get into it the character is a complicated enigma unto himself so it's rewarding for You know, it's it's a great sort of marrying of an interesting character mixed with really interesting acting choices. And and it really sort of it's such a breath of fresh air for the show. And I'm excited that we got to an episode about him.
2: Yeah, well, I think I think what you're picking up on is something deliberate, a deliberate choice that they've made early on with the whole Western theme. Like, especially when Mm -hmm. you're picking up on on Avery Brooks's choices of being like dialed down to like a one at the beginning he's sort of like this sleepy town mm-hmm. sheriff who who kind of like <laughs> sighs and has to do no seriously don't you know what i mean he's like no, yeah. he's like it's he's like a, a pencil pusher you know he just everything is so provincial and sleepy and it feels very deliberate you know what i mean
3: if you were a cast director or if you were a showrunner or executive producer for a show when someone said sleepy detective would you ever say give me avery brooks uh,
2: like i would t- i don't know i think <laughs> i like all the choices Unlike you you, you, you... No, no, he's great.
1: Yeah, they gave him Avery Brooks when they said, we need a black captain, and like, oh, Avery Brooks is a good actor, yeah. and we'll give you him.
2: Forrest Whitaker told us no. <laughs> right. This is something that I wanted to bring up, and, 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 and Wade accidentally kind of hit upon, it, and, it, and I'm surprised it, this is th- we're three episodes in and we haven't really talked about it, but he is not actually a captain. He's a commander. Commander, no. that's right, yeah. They, have, But here's, it's a deliberate choice that the showrunners made. They're like, we're going to have an African-American in charge, but we're not going to make him a captain. Right. Yes. Now, why? Why is he not it a captain? It bugs me.
1: Because he's in a ship. Yes. He's not in a ship. He's a Yeah, but he's, he's in a, a
3: naval organization, is- though. But he's. But he is in a naval organization. There are captains of like bases and stuff in the naval in the naval yeah. system. Uh, I think because they ultimately make him a captain, right? They ultimately make what? him a captain
1: once they get and the Defiant and they have an actual ship. Spoiler, sorry, right?
3: Yeah, but isn't Worf the captain of that though? Isn't Worf the captain of the Defiant? In no, he's that the regard? commander of
1: it. Is no, he's like the second. In, he's like the second. I, well, I thought. I, I thought
2: they made. Mate, this is that's possible. Buddy. but we're getting ahead of yeah. ourselves my point is <laughs> we're getting more fun episodes my point is is that does does it him being a commander serve the narrative because before the wormhole it is a shitty outpost that you have to like mm-hmm. do to like earn your rank like to, to climb the ladder you know what I mean right right and they're like, they're throwing is, it at him because his wife died basically Right. Like your damaged goods, here's a shitty job that won't be too stressful on you and you know, it it could be good for your career. But why
1: couldn't he be
3: after he found the wormhole and fixed everything?
2: Yeah, like why couldn't they promote him?
1: Yeah. Or why why couldn't he just be a disgraced captain to fill
2: that narrative instead of like Exactly. Why did they have to make him like, Okay, you have to work your way up by hard work and ingenuity, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you might be They, they should have just made him a captain to begin with.
1: Well, because Star Trek is has a history of being cheap and then tricking people into thinking that a promotion for your character is the equivalent <laughs> of a raise. Maybe that's what okay. it is.
3: Okay, so let me unpack this. So let me unpack this because I think that you're – I don't know if you're – you could be potentially leveling a pretty strong accusation towards the creators of this show.
1: So uh, yeah, they're racist. racist. They're racist. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, okay, okay, okay. So let's unpack this. It's three, it's three options. One of which they had an internal show inside the script, inside the world of deep space, and reason for wanting to do that. That he's okay, a striver or he's Uh outside of the show, fan base not wanting to have two captains concurrently in the Star Trek world. Because you still had Picard out there for two seasons. Did it, w- was there an idea that it would be confusing between those two? Uh, th- and third, <laughs> black captains matter. Like, is it because, <laughs> like, like uh, because they're not because they're holding it back because of of some sort of like idea that he wasn't because of racial, ra- racial instances uh,
1: or, or leanings? I mean, I'd like to think better of them because I mean they were at the time. They got all these props for being forward-thinking, which is fucked up. <laughs> exactly. they're like, "Hey, look, we got a black person leading the show," whereas you know it wasn't. They weren't like, "Yeah, but we can't make her a captain because we're a racist." Because you know, you know, Star Trek is historically against that kind of stuff. It's just like they're kind yeah, of.
3: It's a. Let's be honest. Star Trek's are really. I mean, and this is no defense, like against like racial, um, like microaggressions or whatever, but. Um they, this is a these these creators are liberals. Right. I have no doubt. I mean there've been a there might have been a, like a house conservative on the writing staff or something like that.
1: But these these guys are liberals. But they're uh, I mean, they're very white liberals too. They're like you, know, yes, you yes. go back go back again to Michelle Forbes is the first bajor and like, "Yeah, we got this hot lady. Come on. We got to keep her hot." Listen that make oh, their Hollywood. makeup too intrusive.
3: Yeah, yeah, they're they're Hollywood white liberals. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But they're liberals nonetheless. So I mean,
1: Precisely.
3: I don't think their instinct would be overtly I mean, you might could. I think that you have to look either inside the fan base and the cult of Picard and the TNG staff or you have to look just towards them thinking, "Well, it would confuse people if he was a captain, but he's on a space station and not a ship. So it'd be easier to make him a commander." He's younger than Picard oh. and why and 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 comparing him to, I don't know, maybe they thought that I'm sure I'm sure you live in a bubble where you're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of fan mail and you go to these conventions and people are crazy nuts and even like an actor like Jonathan Frakes can seem like the biggest actor in the world in these conventions. And you think, well, if we promote him I mean, I know that it's not within a chain of com- a certain specific chain of command, but if we promote Avery Brooks over Jonathan Frakes, that might make people bristle and just reject
1: the show. Right, and it and it's also it was like the mid to late '90s, which were different in the sense that like. There was a sense back then that everything was a big deal. Like, I mean, you know, MTV had the first gay kiss and people were losing their shit mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, and they, they, they never even contemplated having gay characters on Star Trek, even with their whole, you know, diversity kind of. T's t- t-
3: later on, they do have a. This show does have a lesbian kiss in a few seasons from. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. But at the time, you know, it was like they were. And then I feel like Star Trek, especially in network shows, were so beholden to like. Oh well, you can't do this yet. We're we're white liberals, and we want to do this, but you can't yet. Yeah,
3: that's a good point too. That the whoever was the head of the syndication of this, those suits, the UPN or CBS or whoever was calling the the suit shots on this, and the advertisers, oh, They're not. They're not liberal. Yeah, Paramount. Paramount had
1: to sell it. To the yeah,
3: they're not liberals. So right. Yeah. So
2: I think that that, My point that, is that somebody's racist.
1: Oh yeah, there's definitely some racism in there. I don't think the showrunners are overtly racist. they've got their institutionalized racism that you know right. we're we're three straight white guys talking about it
3: yeah, Rick Berman later on said that the reason that they ended up promoting Cisco to captain was because they got sick and tired after what's her face uh, after Jane Katie Mulgrew. Jane way yeah Jane White. Janeway came in after they brought her in as a captain of the Voyager. That people were talking about the three great Star Trek captains, and that Avery Brooks was never in the mix. So, yeah, that's the shame
1: because everybody agrees he's better than fucking Janeway. Right? Yeah. right? <laughs>
3: She's great, and just the new black though.
1: I actually like her too, but you know what? I like I like Cisco more than Janeway.
2: I might like Cisco the most, but I like. It's like you know whatever captain I'm watching at the moment seems to be my favorite, right? You know I mean? Yeah,
1: because I mean if I can love Picard, but then going back and watching uh, Kirk, it's pretty good too. It's a weird,
2: it's a weird thing.
3: Young William Shatner is great,
2: right? You talk about affected speech. <laughs> you talk about Avery <laughs> Brooks going high. Are you talking and then yeah, William Shatner. I got it. I got, a, I got a daughter emergency. I'm
3: sorry about this, guys. Hey, no, <laughs> I feel cool. Hey,
2: I'm going to go pee again. We
3: could do a, an auditable.com
2: right yeah, now. Yeah, this, uh, this, this is where our sponsors come in, right? <laughs> Insert sponsor message. Okay, so are, we're talking about, we were talking about Cisco and how great he is in this episode and how basically uh, we think he's been short-sheeted by uh, by being made a commander. really popped out in this episode for me because he's being called commander an awful lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's referred oh, yeah. to by as Commander a lot um I don't know. it just really stuck out and really bothered me this time around
3: it It's bothersome, and I mean, I feel like arguably he's got a much more power than any of that because he's actually what he's doing is specifically involved with the politics of the federation, you know he's yeah. essentially being an ambassador, you know right and it's so much more complicated than what wear a
2: lot of hats. Yes. Isn't that mm-hmm. how you feel? Like he's, basically, he's he's like he's uh the administrator, ambassador, he's uh he turns out to be a, a religious figure. I mean we're not rotating, he's basically basically say that in the first episode. Uh, yeah. I'm sure if a toilet gets clogged, he's the one that has to get up in the middle of the night <laughs> and soak punch it on the station. <laughs>
1: You know, he has to call O'Brien about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean he's asking
3: like, like this idea of whether to allow a country to take a political prisoner, which was all, all his deci- – like was he, was he to give him political asylum or was he to return him back to Cardassia? And the decision he made could have shattered the peace treaty between the two countries and, and started the whole war over again is essentially what could have happened there. I don't remember Picard ever—I mean, he might have stumbled into a position where he had to make the right call.
2: Uh, we were talking about how uh, how Picard really had it a lot easier than—, than to Well, space. yeah, like— Since Deep Space Nine, the station itself is actually the exact opposite of the Enterprise, right? The yeah. station is somewhere that nobody really wants to be, but they have to be. And the Enterprise, anytime somebody needs a swanky escort, they call it like, the, the nicest Cadillac in Starfleet.
1: Right, yeah, it's a flagship.
2: <laughs> it's a flagship, yeah. and and that's the whole thing. Is that Picard's got the best barber? He's got the best <laughs> everything in Starfleet.
3: It's to come it Has been thrice rejected a, a promotion to captain.
1: Right, right, just to stay with him. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: right, and he, and in Cisco he has a sloppy second engineer. Who just was really mostly just ran transporters his previous experience he's an enlisted guy he's not even an officer, right uh-huh. He's got a recycled yeah. friend who used to be an old man but now is a younger woman who yes. really isn't given much to do in the show. <laughs> he's got a <laughs> kind yet. of a shitty doctor right who <laughs> and he's got a first yes. officer who doesn't who doesn't even want him there in the first place. And he's got a ship that's basically been invented by like Cold War. Yeah, no, he
1: doesn't uh, even have a ship. He's got a bunch of like shuttles, runabouts yeah. that are named after rivers. Apparently,
2: uh, yeah, they are. So he's just he's just got the worst situation. It's like the opposite. He's just he's just been given the worst situation.
3: Is that what I like about the show the most? Though that that's much more interesting to me. Yeah. Watch, yes, I think like, that's that, what I'm that's unpacking it. here too. Yeah. So, like, that's what's more fun. I mean, I not to sneak ahead, but next week's episode, this starts with this, like, whole montage of, like, O'Brien having to fix all the shitty Cardassian equipment and, like, how, like, that consumes his days. I like that they're, like, in the old junker of...
2: Yeah, of they're in the Gremlin, essentially. You know. <laughs> yes.
3: And that's sort of a... it's It's almost like a Star Wars element that's added to it, you know, because it's, like... You know how, like, all of those great Star Wars scenes where, like, they're having to, like, ratchet some shit to get out of a problem? Like, they've
2: got to open up the fuse
1: box. The technical without the action of Star Wars.
2: Yeah, exactly. just how, like, without? everything looks burnt and, like, used in the <laughs> Star Star Wars universe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the ships have, oh, yeah, like, yeah. burn marks on them and stuff. And, and, yeah, there's a dirty, used aspect to it. The, none of the sheen of the previous series are on this show at all. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, I no, think I agree. you're right. I think that maybe that's what we what we do like about it so far is that it's scrappier and a dirtier little corner of the Star Trek universe that would otherwise just be passed over in, like, orbit by the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah.
1: So did we finish talking about what happens in this episode yet?
2: Uh, um, I think we pretty much did. I mean, uh, it turns out that the terrorist is still a terrorist, and <laughs> he, he wants to bring... And he does. And he wants to close the wormhole with a bomb, to, right? Right, 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 right. And Kira basically uh, also, gets talked out of doing the right thing by Odo, right?
1: Right. And Odo calls yes. the principal on her. Basically, it's like yeah. it's like she wants to talk to you.
2: Yeah, someone down here
3: in security wants to talk to you. So, yeah, no. I and that scene is is great and probably one of the better acted sequences in in the show so far. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Um, one thing I did write in my notes. I'm just going through my notes. If anything, I asked is that going back on the subject of I don't think not Visitor is a very good actress uh, in the Runabout when she's having to act like she's surprised about being the Cardassians and the uh, and the Federation triangulating them on the on the handoff with the latinum or whatever. She's acting like she's surprised, and I was and I just wrote Nana Visitor has trouble acting like she's acting.
1: <laughs> maybe maybe Kira. Is a bad actor and that's good. An <laughs> I do it's though I, w- I, this is something, this is the first mention in Deep Space Nine, anyways, of gold pressed Latinum, I believe.
3: Oh, is it? Oh, okay.
1: I don't think it was in maybe they do in the first one.
3: I did read a dork, a dork note on Memory Alpha, which was like this is the only time that gold press latinum is talked about in units of measure and units of weight instead of numbers of bars. <laughs>
1: so, oh, okay.
3: So they were still sort of working through, uh, right. how, how, yeah. what it is, what gold plus latinum is. Also, I, two things I would comment on is that it bugs me that half of the episode pinges on bringing two other cone ma guys onto the ship, two guys we never meet. There's a problem. They come on the ship. They bring on the gold. Like there's all of these scenes about the other two guys. And that's when one scene that could have been great. One thing that they didn't, one area they didn't go is there's a brief scene right before the Odo scene where Avery, Bro- uh, where Cisco already knows that the people are still working with Cone, are still Kone Ma and are planning something. He's gotten that information from Odo and Bashir. And he at- goes to not a visitor and or Kira and asks her does do she trust those two two other guys? And she goes, absolutely. And at that moment, Cisco totally doubts Kira and thinks that he might right. have essentially a terrorist sympathizer <laughs> with a great amount of power on his ship. And you, you get to see him like experience that for a minute. And then the next scene is the Odo scene where she breaks down. I just don't know who I am anymore. And then they call Cisco in and she, they patch it all up. And she's now, the next time you see them together, she's on team Federation and she's, she's planning with them. But like, why not stretch that out? Why not have that sort of fundamental doubt yeah. about where her alleg- allegiances are? Why not make, make yeah. you know, that that's, that's what they call drama. And
1: you can they were writing it fast, and only had 42 minutes sadly. <laughs> Cuz I thought I actually like this episode. Though you're right though that 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 is a missed opportunity.
3: No, I do too. I do I too. Do. Yeah, I, I I I mean nothing in the world is beyond nitpicking that what would be I under kind of, what. of what you would change? Uh,
2: James would you say oh. That, that Oh yeah. Basically what you would i yes. mm-hmm. I'm going to go go ahead and take what I would change real quick here. Is okay, so yeah, I know that the whole episode of Garrick's profession as a tailor is an homage to Tinker Taylor spy.
1: You mean that movie that hadn't come out yet? But the <laughs> the guy <laughs> point, Yeah,
2: yeah. Well no, it it was a book written it was based off a book that was written like forty years ago about the Cold War.
1: So, based off a real person. That's that's the ultimate thing, yeah.
2: Right. Well I guess but they don't have to be so married. To that. I don't think a tailor is necessary at all in that universe. Yeah. And that's what I would change. He's sitting he's sitting at his desk when the Dura sisters come in there fucking with a bolt of fabric. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that, that that would happen. If anybody wants any clothes, they go up to a console, they go beep bop boop, and then they print out or you know, whatever they want
1: that just reinforces that we're not dealing with the federation maybe well that's that's the excuse the other other thing i noticed with with garrick there was i love andrew robinson's performance and everything there's a moment there where he went a little it sounded to me almost like a little a uh, little bit uh, frozen caveman lawyer <laughs> it's like listen i'm just a simple clothier i don't know these things which but i say that with the, the m- utmost respect out Very. Of nothing, you know, one of my most beloved people in show business ever is Phil Hartman. So, but Phil
3: Hartman. <laughs> okay, so one of the things I got, I got a world of issues, and I'm gonna, I, I might stay on this throughout the whole every podcast that it comes up. Is I don't understand if replicators existed. I mean, humanity for possibly three million years before the invention of agriculture, was completely with consumed. Our entire existence was to garner food. So they create a machine that just makes food now without expense or money or anything. Why can't it make, well, your point, why can't they make clothes? Because it can make a school bell. Why can't you just have a replicator that makes gold-pressed latinum? If you had a replicator, that's a bigger I mean, if you could have something that could supply food for everyone without a drain on resources, well,
1: the Federation has replicators. The rest, the
3: Cardassians had replicators too. I thought they were fixing the Cardassian replicators. Oh,
1: you're right. You're right.
2: <laughs> do they just have somebody not written the code. Why
1: that? <laughs> they do have city replicators. That's that's precedent. <laughs> they they do establish that their replicators suck. Right. Right.
3: uh, Well, okay. So, but like, okay. So, for instance, in the first episode, Quark says that the Bajoran ale sucks. Why? If it's from the the same replicator that it makes the good. I mean, is all like.
1: Well, if we're getting the in the world building, I think if the rest of all the universe except for the Federation, the Federation's evolved past uh, capitalism or whatever, but the Ferengi, for instance, haven't. So, as, a, as a, a nod to the Prime Directive, you would have to put stipulations into the replicators not to make latinum, because that would interfere with the Prime Directive as far as the Ferengi goes. So, it's immoral to produce latinum, because then you're breaking the Prime Directive. Prime Directive. Okay. Oh that's
2: that's completely that? more fascinating than anything that we've seen. Yeah.
3: Then you could get on the gold standards and uh like money money inflation and okay, so that
2: may maybe gold press platinum is
3: worthy worth something now, uh, that it has value in all of these societies and it's why it's used as currency is because it can be replicated. <laughs>
1: Well, I haven't been on memory alpha. I'm just patting myself on the back for that justification, and then I just made up just one you know. <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
2: no that, that that was that was far that was more good. interesting I think is that what what would you change in this episode Wade, anything or was that pretty much it uh
1: yeah i I would throw in that bit about gold press Because <laughs> after that last episode yes. i I liked this one a lot um
3: yeah, yeah no this was a good episode i mean there wasn't i mean i the things that I, you know my critiques on it are largely production based, like yeah. You know, but it or like
2: it seems like the basic storytelling.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. like
2: if like you're it, in a visual medium and in any, any visual medium, you're supposed to show not tell. And they there's just exactly. a lot of standing around and telling. Right.
3: Oh my god! On flat angles up against flat
2: backgrounds,
1: <laughs> yeah. that bothers the shit out of me. <laughs> that's just a problem with star trek in general yeah they're very it's very of its time not dynamic
3: i will say that the the one show that's the shows that started to break out of that were the later deep space nine seasons where they started to do more sort of advanced sci-fi sort of filmmaking having not just uh not just nice soap opera lighting. <laughs> Everybody standing in a semicircle, talking against a flat right. background. Um,
1: well, that's kind of that's kind of the genre right. for Star Trek in itself is like based on space Twilight Zone space radio plays where they're just the visuals aren't the the visuals are boring and they're just you know it's kind of kind of yeah. the way that but you're right it is, it is a fault.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I mean, and I get it with lighting, because lighting can really, like, to get, from my understanding of how TV shows go, to get better lighting or more, like, cinematic lighting, that takes time. And time is money on filming these things. But to just put the camera somewhere nicer, you know, just to actually right. get more interesting framed shots, doesn't take that much more time. Um, especially when the set is all evenly lit like it is. So that would be one thing I would just like, can't you just tilt, you know, just because it is so, it is so flat at this point in the show. And that is, uh, the worst, the worst Star Trek episodes have that too.
1: Right. right?
2: Yeah. All right. So any other,
1: was there something you said you changed you or did you already tell us? I forget.
2: Yeah, it was a tinker. I am oh, right, like right,
3: right. so married to, to
1: Garrick being a tailor. I
3: loved
2: yeah. Garrick as a tailor. You had changed change the
3: fundamental job because Garrick stays a tailor throughout this entire show.
2: Yeah, oh, he's, he's, sitting, he's sitting around fucking with bolts of uh, fabric for this entire seven years. Right, yeah.
1: he, that's his whole excuse yeah. for being on the station at all. What would you replace it with?
2: A replicator. Uh,
1: but then, how do you? No, well, what would you replace? You, him? Have like, you have to have Garrick, or else if he's just a talking replicator, that's really that's even worse. I
2: would maybe maybe have him be an a, an accountant or some like offer a service that people need, but not necessarily a product that people you
1: need. you make him. Well, he's like an artisanal guy. Like, oh, we could replicate this, but you want uh, a a.
3: a, what a well, he, a job that only he could do that wasn't service industry based that that couldn't be done with a replicator. I mean, like, I don't know what that like.
2: I have a massage parlor. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we already know the holodeck can do that.
2: Yeah. That's true. Uh, uh, with big. It will we'll, we'll lick your back. That's right. Um, he could run a Turkish bath. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, we've already established that we can't have any gayness in this series yet. It's still the 90s. so...
3: Also, is Cork I guess with Hall I was going to ask is Cork I just always assumed that Cork was also a pimp. Yeah. That they just never went into that. Cuz he runs a, he's a saloon keeper
1: and he runs his own holodex. But
3: with the so it's the holodex that he's pimping and that's more that's cooler.
1: Yeah, there's the Dabo girls but they have their own agency and they deal with them in later episodes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> are they, the the Dabo girls are unionized?
1: Well, that's I believe that's the whole plot. Oh, that's yeah. spoiler territory. We're gonna get into
3: that. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I remember this whole. Well, plot f- oh that'll,
2: we'll, that'll remind you later. Yeah,
1: you'll you'll know. I don't want to say anything. No. Okay.
2: All right, oh, I okay. think we about covered it for this week, don't you guys?
3: I do. I I think I think we did pretty good. Yeah. Are we are we are we ready to say goodbye? I
2: right.
1: I believe we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. All right. All right. It, Until next week. Th- Thanks for tuning in to the Rules of Acquisition.
0: <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition Pod and on Tumblr at the Rules of Acquisition Send us an email at Rules of Acquisition Podcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.